Hi, my name is David Elstein, and this is the American Board of Orthopedic Surgery podcast. Each episode is designed to help busy orthopedic surgeons learn more about the ABUS and board certification. We have a special guest in this episode, Dr. Stuart Weinstein. Many of you likely know Dr. Weinstein is an orthopedic surgery leader who specializes in pediatric orthopedic surgery. He has been an ABUS diplomate for 45 years and was president of the ABUS 20 years ago, and he's still treating patients in Iowa. Hi, Dr. Weinstein. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. So let's talk about your childhood. Growing up, did you want to become a doctor? Well, I grew up in Chicago, and no, I actually, being a doctor was the furthest thing from my mind. I actually always was very interested in the law and politics. And, uh, you know, my childhood dream was probably to be United States Senator or Supreme Court Justice. Not too lofty goals, but that's where, that's where I, my initial thinking was. So what got you interested in becoming a physician? Yeah. So in college, obviously, I went to college during the uh, Vietnam era and and, uh, there was no gap years. It was just, you know, nose to the grindstone, keep moving forward. And as I approached my uh, junior year, I was a political science and history major. And I was thinking about going to law school and pursuing that area. But I was a little unsure if that would allow me to have an impact on on people. And, and my parents suggested, why don't you go down and visit with our family doctor who happened to be a general surgeon in Chicago. And he talked to me about the contributions you could make in medicine and how that could affect a lot of people. So I, I changed course and I decided that, you know, this sounds like a reasonable alternative where I can help a lot of people. And so I, in my junior year in college, switched into pre-med, which, uh, which required taking every single elective course in the sciences uh, and in addition to finishing my political science and history. And then I uh, went to medical school and it was the best decision of my life. Excellent. So, you know, how did you decide to pursue a orthopedic surgery uh, residency? Well, actually, this is another a bit of a strange story because uh, I didn't match into orthopedic surgery. I originally matched inter- internal medicine because oh, I had wonderful role models here at the University of Iowa College of Medicine. They were all internists and and I, they were just wonderful. And, and so, you know, they, they uh, were role models and I decided, you know, I want to go into internal medicine. So I matched in internal medicine, but after the match, I did an elective in orthopedic surgery because like most orthopedic surgeons, I'd been heavily involved in sports and like sports and athletics mm-hmm. and after I did my orthopedic uh, rotation, I worked with a gentleman named Mike Bonfilio. Mike was also an ABOS uh, director at one time, okay. and he was uh, like an internist in surgeon's clothing. So he was a wonderful and skilled diagnostician and a surgeon. And I realized, hey, you know, this is this is uh, more appealing to me. So I, I I had to take my chances that hopefully after I started my internal medicine that I could drop out and some orthopedic program would take me. So I'm quite fortunate because that would be extremely difficult in 2022, 2023, almost impossible. But I did drop out of internal medicine after a while and I was able to come back to the University of Iowa and do my orthopedic residency. And again, another good decision on my part. Well, that's definitely an interesting story and a different way to get there. So Let's talk about you. You know, the 1990s, you were a busy orthopedic surgeon. I know you were busy treating patients. You were 
obviously very active in research, but what made you want to be part of the AB West, which I know is obviously a big time commitment to serve on the board. Yeah, I think that for the for the diplomats listening or others listening, each director of the ABOS spends approximately one month a year. So you're giving up one twelfth of your year and you have a 10 year commitment. So you're talking about a lot of commitment to be an ABOS member. But I think you have to believe in the ABOS's mission and, you know, that you're you're basically working for the public. And and if you believe that in the ABOS mission of serving the public, it's pretty hard not to buy in to want to be part of it. And as someone who worked at the University of Iowa with really good role models my whole life, uh, people who felt that board certification, and that time there was no maintenance of certification, but board certification was important. I, I wanted to be part of that process. And subsequently in the 80s, maintenance of certification and the various programs came about and which were even more important. So as someone committed to excellence in orthopedics and making sure that the public gets the best possible care from our community at large, I felt being part of the ABOS was a worthwhile use of my quote spare time and quote. <laughs> Excellent. So what's your proudest accomplishment while serving on the board? I don't think there's, I think serving on the board is not about me as an individual or my accomplishments. I think the board always works as a collective unit. There are 18 people serving the mission of the board. And so, you know, we did a lot of good things as the board always does. Uh, during my time, the certificate of special qualification in sports medicine came about. We continued to improve the oral exam process, continued to, uh, you know, maintain excellence, uh, and validity in the uh, in the written exam. So we're always working on continuous continuous improvement of the process during my time. But it's it was never something I personally did because we all work on all of these things together. And and it's not about the president of the board or any particular member because every member of the board works on everything to try and improve the overall process continuously. Excellent. You sort of hinted out before, but when you became board certified in 1977, you received a lifetime certification. However, you know, I looked and you voluntarily recertified several times. I mean, more specifically, you decided to take an oral exam 2015 going to Chicago. Why do you decide to do that when you did not have to? Or if you wanted to recertify, you could have taken a computer exam. Why did you, A, decide to recertify when you didn't have to, B, to take an oral examination? Well, I think uh, number one, you, you're correct. As I, when I certified, I was grandfathered, so I never had to take another examination again. But even before I was a member of the ABOS, I recertified because I felt it's the right thing to do. And and yes, I could have taken the easy route and not taken any exam, but I just didn't feel that was right. And and as someone who also has been involved with residency training programs my whole life, I don't think that set a good example for residents. So. I took the recertification exam every time. Now I'm uh, every time, every six years or every 10 years. And um, I'm a big believer in the oral exam process. I was chair of the oral exam committee. And I really do think the oral exam, while it's not the most favored pathway for recertification, I feel it best mirrors your practice. It's what you do every day. 
the cases are cases you decided to do, you know, the, the indications, you're the one that's responsible for knowing the evidence behind those. So I'm a big believer in that process. And so I did also take the recertification exam, the oral exam during the year I was president of the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons in 2005. And I did that to set an example for all the diplomats. So here's a guy who's the president of our national association who doesn't have to recertify. And he's taking what most people perceive as the hardest pathway, which is the oral pathway. But I felt that that uh, would make a statement. It's what I believe in. It's uh, Again, I believe the oral exam best mirrors my practice. And as president of the academy, I wanted to say to everyone else, look, I'm doing this. I don't even have to do it. And I think it's worth my time and effort. And I think it, it, uh, it sends the best message for our profession to the public. And then I took it again in 2015 or 2016. Again, I didn't need to do it then. I wasn't president of anything. And I did it because I think it's the right thing to do, again, for the public, for my patients to know that I'm recertified. Because unlike other fields like law, I mean, anybody can go to a course and take a course and continuing law, legal education, continuing any type of education, but to actually put yourself through a process, somewhat rigorous process, says a lot to the public about what the profession stands for. So I felt even in 2016 that I my patients needed to know that I took the effort and that I'm current or as current as I can be and that the residents that I interact with, the medical students know that this is not some guy taking the easy path. He's, he's walking the walk. And uh, so, you know, it's, I feel strongly about that. Excellent. So Kate, let's go back to this orthopedic <laughs> surgery in general. Well, what has changed in the field since you were a young orthopedic surgeon to now? Wow, that's a tough one because everything <laughs> has changed. Uh, if I look at my own practice, which is children's orthopedics, but primarily spinal deformity surgery, I am doing nothing that I did to treat these deformities in 2023 or 2022, 2023 that I did in 1976 when I finished and started my practice. Everything has changed technology has changed dramatically across the spectrum of orthopedics, not just what I do, but shoulder, sports medicine, hip and knee, et cetera, has changed dramatically. The technologic advances and now the biologic advances that are occurring and that we can bring forward to uh, help our patients alleviate pain, restore function, et cetera, are dramatic. So the whole profession is constantly changing. It's so dynamic. Uh, that's what makes orthopedics such a desirable specialty amongst medical students because of the dynam dynamism of how it's changed both technologically, biologically, and you know the evidence base continues to grow. So to be current is quite a task for any orthopedic surgeon, regardless of how limited their practice is. So I, I would say orthopedics probably more than any other specialty has uh, benefited from technology and now biologic, uh, the, the biologic revolution we're currently in. 
So that sort of gets on to my next point. So what do you see, I guess, is the biggest challenge facing orthopedic surgeons today? Is it that it's constantly changing or is there something else you see that's a big challenge? Well, I think for the orthopedic community at large, the volume of literature is so huge. When I was a resident, this is going to sound really ancient, but there was only the Journal of Bone and Joint Surgery, which only had 12 issues a year, both British and American. There was orthopedic clinics of North America, which were a, a topical issue. They just cover one topic. And clinical orthopedics and research, which was also more topical. So the volume of literature, there weren't the specialty journals that currently exist. So for a young orthopedic surgeon, regardless of their specialty, to stay current and be able to filter the literature is quite a task because there is so much out there. And I will say that, you know, the amount of high quality literature is, is I would say, is not that great, but you've got to filter it somehow to find the, uh, the nuggets from all of the other things that are out there, because you can get whatever you write published in some type of journal, but but high level evidence is uh, is certainly lacking across all surgical disciplines. But I think the, the biggest challenge for a young orthopedic surgeon is, is staying current, figuring out how to separate the junk from the real pearls that are out there and the key articles that affect practice. Okay. And then, you know, getting back to change, what do you see has changed most in the ABUS since you've been involved? I would say what last 30 years or so, what's how, how's the organization changed? Well, the organization I, I think is a wonderful organization and, uh, and, you know, it's always hard for people not actually doing the ABOS work, you know, just being a diplomat and having to, or, or you know, having to recertify or maintain your certificate, I should say. The board always is trying to stay current, but the challenges for the, <clears throat> both the board and the practitioner is that you know healthcare is changing dramatically in this country. There's consolidation of healthcare systems. Um, reimbursement is declining. So orthopedic surgeons are having to do more to support the practice and the, the aspects of their practice, the personnel, their malpractice insurance, their various fees and things they have to the electronic medical record. So the demands on orthopedic surgeons' time and to the declining reimbursement, I think, is a big challenge to practices. And the board has also tried to recognize how this impacts the board maintenance of certification process on individuals' practice lives. And I think the board has done a wonderful job, particularly in the last few years, in recognizing the constraints of practice and how difficult it is for the practice orthopedic surgeon to make a go of it on a day-by-day -day basis, and yet the importance of being able to fulfill their maintenance of certification requirements, which are critically important for public credibility. So I think the board has done a really good job in recognizing that. And another really positive thing I think the board has done is the board has to be arm's length distance from the academy. These are two separate organizations. They have two separate missions. But yet the academy, which represents all orthopedic surgeons and, and is, does a great job in educating and advocating for 
uh, orthopedic surgeons, their patients, the doctor-patient relationship. The board has worked, I think, quite well in recent years with the academy in correlating the, or, or sorry, uh, in, in merging the maintenance of certification process through the educational processes that occur through the academy and the specialty societies to make the process less onerous for the practicing surgeon. Uh, and I think that's a, a credit to both the ABOS, particularly, and AAOS, because again, these are separate organizations and they can't be related. That wouldn't pass the smell test, you know, front page of New York Times. Right. Uh, but I think they have worked at this arm's length relationship in a very positive way that helps orthopedic surgeons in practice meet the demands of practice and also be able to uh, be able to maintain their certificate in a reasonably constructive and helpful way. That's actually a great segue to my next question. You know, you, I know you've had leadership roles in many different orthopedic organizations. What makes the ABOS unique? Yeah, the ABOS is unique. As you, you alluded to, I was president of POSNA back in the 90s. Uh, uh, my specialty society was president of the American Orthopedic Association in the late 90s, the ABOS, and then the Academy. So I've had a, a great good fortune to participate in leadership roles across the spectrum. What makes the, the ABOS unique is that it's an organization where every single member of the organization is pulling oars in the same direction. It's the most unified mission-driven organization I've participated in. Yes, you have discussions about the process, you're trying to improve it. There's vigorous debate, but every single member that sits at that board table, from the active directors to the senior directors to the lay directors is literally pulling oars in the same direction. You're all on the same page and that is a wonderful feeling that you know you can have arguments that are, you know, very substantive and uh, um, impactful. But at the end of the day, you realize you're all working toward the same direction, and you you are are trying to make this process as valuable to not only the diplomats participating in the process, but the public who can look and say, "Hey, this is a board certified orthopedic surgeon." So. That's, I think, is the unique aspect of ABOS. Um, the other organizations are certainly mission-driven as well, but there's always a lot more issues where there are issues which divide people and, and harder to unite them. What do you think is the biggest challenge facing the ABOS these days? Well, I think, um, again, merging the mission of the ABOS, protecting the public, and keeping up with how the demands of a practice are changing for orthopedic surgeons. So uh, the certification process has always been, is, is excellent and I think hard to argue with. And I think uh, even the practitioners realize that's a hurdle you've got to get over your initial board certification. It's the maintenance of certification program, which diplomats have to go through every 10 years which needs constant monitoring, constant attention to making sure that number one, it protects the public. And number two is something that 
is not too onerous for a practitioner trying to take care of patients on a day-to-day basis and and also wanting to maintain their certificate because it's the right thing to do. So I think being sensitive and all the members of the ABOS are in practice. So it's not like they're, you know, just sitting on some uh, high ivory tower looking down at practice. They're all practitioners. They all get it. Um, But I think it's just constantly paying attention to what's happening in the healthcare space that affects the practice of orthopedic surgery and how that dovetails with the maintenance of certification uh, process. So my final question for you, Dr. Warnstein, so what are you doing these days? Well, I'm still practicing full-time. I still operate two days a week, see patients two days a week, and I still have an active research program. So I'm doing the same thing I've done my whole life and hope to continue to do it for a long time to come, uh, you know, assuming everything works out well for me. But I'm loving my job, loving my life, and feel privileged that I've been able to to have all these years of taking care of patients. So thank you, Dr. Weinstein, for your time. For more information on the ABOS, go to www.abos.org. If you enjoyed this episode of the American Board of Orthopedic Surgery podcast, please subscribe to us on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, wherever you listen to podcasts, so you know when the next episode is posted.